Welcome back to Trope Stories, a show about photographers, creatives, dreamers, makers, entrepreneurs, and their personal journeys. I'm Terry Mayday, and on today's show is Chris Holmes, a distinguished talent utilizing a versatile skill set with roles that include father, corporate executive, musician, and yes, image maker. Chris's photographs have gained international attention from Trope's award-winning London and Hong Kong books, various publications in Europe, as well as displayed pieces in an exhibition curated by Art of Visuals in New York City. Chris has extensive personal and professional travel experience that has taken him across the UK and Europe to China, Thailand, the Caribbean, and the US. This is his story. Chris Holmes, welcome to the show. Good to see you. You too, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Last time I saw you, you were living in London. You and Harriet were newlyweds. Are there any updates from your from your side? Uh, yeah, a few, I think. A few. I think firstly, we're not in London anymore. Um, we, we moved out the day before UK lockdown. Um, and probably more importantly, we've had a, had a little boy. Um, so we've now got a baby. Um, in the house. So yeah, I'd, I'd say probably two major updates, Terry, since, since I last saw you. Well, congratulations. I, I can't imagine what it's like to bring a baby into the world during a pandemic. What what was that like leading up to that? Um, kind of as scary as, you, as you'd expect, really. I think because, I mean, your first pregnancy, right? So you don't really know what to expect anyway. And I think there's so much change and confusion and, and everything else going on within what the UK could do. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, it was about protection, which is why, you know, we, we, we got out of London quicker than we anticipated to. We were always going to move anyway, um, but we, we brought it forward by a couple of months um, just to make sure we could we could get out um, because we anticipated a lockdown to come. Um, so, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, intense being stuck in the kind of in the same four walls for a good six months, <laughs> um, but, you know, protecting protecting the wife. Taking Harriet and, and the unborn baby was kind of paramount for sure. Of course. So you are now a husband, a corporate executive, a father, a photographer. What what does that feel like? Your newfound role of, of being a father. How, how how is it? It's chaotic, but it's amazing. Of course, as you'd expect. Um, I think everything else, rightly, uh, kind of has to take a take a rightful backseat. You know, he's our priorities, he's, you know, only a few months old. Um, and you've got kids, right, Terry? So you know exactly what it's like. Um, but I mean, everything else is kind of sliding into place. We're getting used to things. And, you know, the, the pandemic is kind of changing everything every day, I guess. Um, but our kind of comparison is only what we know right now. So we kind of just crack on and cope and, uh, and move forward every day. Well, I think, I think back to our days, you know, filming together in London and we were filming you on the streets, you were shooting photography and we were storytelling around you creating images on the streets of London. You know, I, I think back to that time and the passion and the dedication that that took. And I'm assuming you're not shooting that much now and I have a feeling I know what the best parts of your day are, but what, what are you filling that time with now? Uh, I feel like I need to not be predictable, Terry, but I, I'm sorry, I think I'm probably going to be quite predictable. Um, yeah, I mean, first thing in the morning, you know, I have a couple of hours with, with my son um, before I start the, the manic the manic day. Um, and then kind of afterwards, bath time, um, kind of pre-bed, um, kind of all around family, 
um, which is you know just the right right thing. Um, it's certainly not work, Terry. Let's let's put it that way. It's definitely it's definitely family for sure. <laughs> no doubt. And and because of your schedule, and perhaps even because of your surroundings, I assume you're not shooting as much. So, do you feel like your skill, your talent, your ability to see the world creatively? Do you think that will diminish? Um, yeah, I think I think like anything, it's it's a muscle, right? Um, I mean, you, you practice for a reason to get somewhere. If you stop practicing, you get worse. It's just it's kind of pretty formulaic in that fashion, I think. And you know, the surroundings probably, you know, aren't akin to what I usually try to take photos of. You know, there aren't any skyscrapers. Um, there's no kind of scale in the city. But, you know, when I do get the opportunity, and I will get the opportunity to go back out and take my camera into Nottingham for the first time, you know, there will be plenty of cracks and crevices and little secret corners that, you know, I'm sure I'll find. Um, but it's, you know, I'm going to have to retrain my eye anyway. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm used to shooting in London. It's where my passion for photography matured. So it's all I've ever really known, um, apart from the, the places I've visited around the world. But similarly, they're, they're quite similar cities to London in their kind of architecture and everything else. So, you know, I'm going to have to find a new journey, but hopefully banked some of the skills um, that I've learned kind of over the last kind of five or six years with photography. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to take practice to get back for sure. Um, and I'm going to have to retrain myself on, on what I look for and, and, what, and what I do because it's a, just a completely different location. Yeah. Let's transport back a bit. You know, we live in a digital world, of course, where we're scrolling and clicking and liking. And in that digital world, I think we forget sometimes how great it is to be able to walk into an art gallery with an exhibit of photographs. And by the way, some of your beautiful work being displayed. What was that event like in Shoreditch when the Trope Gallery opened in London? Uh, it's a quite surreal experience, I think. Um, I mean, I've never seen my work kind of hung, hung on a wall, let alone next to, you know, the fellow trope photographers who, through Instagram, you know, you kind of admired for, for, a, long, for a long time. You've seen their journey, um, you know, starting at a different point, but you've seen their journey kind of, kind of grow. Um, so to be displayed next to them was, was kind of humbling, um, quite a very, very proud moment, I think. Um, but to see, it, to see it in print, in the flesh, and what was a wicked space, you know, the great part of town, um, the great crowd that came down, I think it was, um, it's, it was probably a bit cliche to say, but it's definitely a day I'll never forget um, because it um, just kind of cemented my confidence in my work, I think, because, you know, the gallery included me, you know, trope, um, kind of uh, an ambassador of mine, I guess, um, and, you know, to have my work advocated in the gallery was, was definitely a humbling experience. How did your photography journey begin? Uh, New York City, strangely, well, not so strangely. Um, I was on a, on a work trip in New York, which was very fortunate in itself. Um, but yeah, I just had uh, one of the old iPhones at the time. Um, and I think, you know, New York City, um, I mean, everybody knows, kind of, they think they know what New York looks like, right? I mean, you've seen it on TV and books and movies for years. Um, and actually, when you get there, it's almost like shooting a celebrity. And I think that's kind of what got my phone out of my pocket. Um, and I kind of just started practicing the scale and, and everything else, as a, just as a pure tourist, really. And then, you know, just, just looking at slightly different angles or, I mean, it's, it was really hard to know what I was doing then to what I'm doing now and what I was doing before, because it kind of just happened. Um, but I think, you know, in New York, it, it lives to be captured a lot like London, but it, it lives to be captured. And, you know, it, it would have been a shame not to, not to get my phone out and take the photos. I think from there, you know, just looking back, I think, you know, I think my wife said to me at the time, 
um, you know, how how good they were in comparison to some of the just the holiday snaps that, that you might take. Um, so I think from there it just gave me the confidence to keep trying and kind of gave me the bug, I guess, um, to try when I got, got back home to London. Um, but yeah, New, New York City, I think, is, is, was the start of the inspiration for sure. What was it about that trip or, or that moment, though, that just kind of unlocked something in your brain, it sounds like, that you felt like you could see the world or New York even in a, in a different way, in a creative way that, that forced you to say, I actually want to take a picture of this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, every, every kind of creative avenue that you could take, um, whether it be music or painting or writing or whatever it might be, it's all quite individualistic. It's all about your view, your perspective. And I think, you know, photography for me at that point in New York anyway was, you know, my memories of those trips but taken in a way that I wanted to take them. And I think, you know, it's then just evolved um, from, from there, really. So I think it was about me trying to put my own tourist photos together, um, but probably in a slightly more, more creative way than, than maybe I realized at the time. So the photography journey began in New York, but when you were a kid, were you artistic? Did your parents, are your parents in the arts? Did they support that? Tell us about a, a little bit about when you were younger and what was that like? So I've, I've always had, I've always needed a focus, I think. Um, and I, I've moved hobbies, I've moved around hobbies quite a lot, I think, especially especially as a kid, you know. I played the saxophone as a kid, I used to do graphic design, um, I used to draw a lot, um, you know, I played the drums uh, until recently. Um, so I've always kind of required, it would appear on reflection, some kind of outlet, and my parents have always let me explore whatever outlet that needed to be, um, with no question, just just full support. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's never been a career, but had it been a career, I still think they'd have supported me in exactly the same way. They just always wanted me to be happy, which is, you know, a place of privilege for sure. Um, but it's that, it's that kind of, you know, those, those, those lack of boundaries, I guess, to explore have helped me focus and ultimately find photography, which they've, again, been super supportive and super proud, which is, which is amazing. That's great. And we're calling this a journey, Chris. How long have you been shooting? Uh, about six years, I think. I was, trying, I was trying to think the other night. It changes, but it's been about five, five or six years. So in those early days, I'm, I'm curious if you were able to see moments sort of in your mind or in your mind's eye. Creatively, you could see images, but perhaps you weren't able to capture them technically yet with the camera, is that right? Yeah, but I think it's fair to say that that happens now. Um, I think, you know, especially for someone like myself who goes back to locations regularly, um, which I'm sure, you know, millions of photographers do, but, you know, you walk past the spot, you make a list, you go back, and you've got it in your head. Um, and sometimes it's not even technically, Terry. Sometimes it's just the time of day or the weather or the people that are around, um, which kind of affects it. Um, but, I mean, you know, way back when, sure, I mean, like practice, it's muscle memory, right? So to know what aperture to use, what shutter speed to use, what ISO, you know, horizontal or, or vertical, what, what kind of, you know, uh, frame you want to, it all takes practice. Um, and I think, it, again, it's just an evolution of kind of where you are about, where you were then to where you are now. Um, but I think, you know, even that frustration, I guess, is I've not got what I've, I've seen. Um, it still exists, you know, even six years on. Even before you became a father, you you were busy. I mean, you have a busy a busy life. You're married, you have a... Uh, corporate job that requires a lot of your time. In terms of photography though, that requires a lot of time and dedication as well. So what does photography do for your soul and why do you choose to 
pursue it and put so much time into it? What, what does it do for you? For me, it's a way of, um, you know, a distraction from the busy job um, and everything else. It's kind of a very, quite selfish, I guess, catharsis for me um, for the entire process. So, you know, getting up, deciding where I'm going, actually taking the photos, getting home, editing them, all, that entire process is a, is a release, I think, because it's just, it's just focused on that single thing. Um, which, which definitely helps distract and kind of immerse you into into that outlet, um, just to just to release any of that stress and tension through the week. Um, doing something selfishly for, you, for your own benefit, I guess, um, but also you know getting out on the streets, getting some exercise, whatever it might be. But it's just a way of just wiping the slate clean after the end of a busy week for sure. Well, we've made it to the point where we're talking about your book, Chris. Hidden in Chaos, I've got all my sticky notes here for the images that we're gonna to discuss today. How did you arrive at the title, Hidden in Chaos? I think what, you, what you'll notice as a consistent theme through, through the photographs is that there's generally only one person kind of off focus in, in the shot. Um, and you, know, you live your life kind of hidden within London um, and London is chaotic <laughs> permanently. There's kind of chaos kind of going on. Um, and I think, you know, the to capture one person on those busy streets at any time of day, um, it, it just, it, you know, they are hidden within the chaos of London. Um, as you walk past them, you probably wouldn't even glance at them or, or recognise them. So we all remained hidden, um, you know, in the chaotic city that, that is London. That's what makes it pretty remarkable, honestly. I love the way you said it's chaotic permanently. It does feel that way, almost regardless of the time of day, very early, very late. You really, really have to look for those moments. And and Chris, I should mention your work is included in Trope's London book, and your work is also included in Trope's Hong Kong book. But if I can, not to get too personal here, sir, but I believe you were shooting for the Hong Kong book while you were on your honeymoon. Is that right? Yeah, that is that is right. <laughs> uh, yeah, trading the line between uh, the start of a successful marriage and the marriage being over, for sure. The obsession of kind of capturing Hong Kong while I was there. But, you know, as I've said, the wife is super supportive. And actually, the three days we were there, you know, we both always wanted to go. But I think, you know, since the photography journey began, um, I've always wanted to go back a little bit more um, each year, each year that goes by. So it just felt like the right opportunity. Um, to kind of start you know, our honeymoon, me selfishly taking photos of, of Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was great. Well, may I say that you do have a very patient, collaborative, supportive bride, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that is true. Having a book in a store, on store shelves, is something that is pretty rare. I myself do not have a book on store shelves. I mean, what, is that, what does that feel like? I'm not sure it's sunk in yet, if I'm completely honest. Um, I think, you know, when I can go to a bookstore and I, and I can see it there, I think, you know, much like the gallery exhibition, I think it will take it one step further. Um, but I, it feels legitimizing, um, if that makes sense. Um, and I think to see kind of your work in print, and to be quite frank, I, don't, I haven't really seen my work in print. Um, you know, within the Hong Kong book and in, in London, is, is, it's a great collection of photos. Um, but I think to see purely kind of my work in a book is is surreal, um, kind of humbling, and, and like I say, it's legitimizing. It's, um, it's a wonderful thing. In the book, your images are paired and complemented with really thoughtful, emotional poetry. So I, I, I'm getting the sense that you must take yourself very seriously. 
uh, depends on the situation, Terry. It generally tends to depend. Um, you know, the poetry, um, as part of the narrative in the book, I think, just elevates the images, as you say. But I think the images also kind of complement the, the poetry. And the poetry is about, you know, hidden experiences, which is the whole point of the book, um, you know, being hidden in chaos. And the fact that they are so personal from, from these incredible poets that, that we have in the book, um, you know, it's about their hidden experiences of living in London, their perspective on London, their observations of London um, that we wouldn't know um, unless, they'd, unless they'd kind of written them down in, in poetry form. And, you know, poetry... Um, you know, it's almost rhythmical um, sometimes in, in its sense. It, it has a, a heartbeat to it. And I think that kind of complements um, not only the kind of the theme of the book as it starts to flow um, from start to finish, but also, you know, to a degree, London, right? London has a heartbeat. And I think its heartbeat are its people. And we get to hear from the people in the book. There's an introduction by Ashley Roy. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Uh, yeah, so Ash and I um, go way back. Um, we've been friends for a long time. Um, and Ash has really been instrumental in um, kind of getting access to the poets. So Ash used to run um, a night in London, or many nights in London, um, called Music is Remedy. Um, and he used to put on spoken words. So he's, he's quite well connected within kind of the live scene um, within, within London. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of talked to him about this concept and he, he basically managed to get access to these, to these poets um, through um, a, a, something called Street Fest, which is a community festival in Hackney in East London. And we, you know, all his idea, um, put on a, a competition to be in the book, um, but also to perform um, at Street Fest because he, he had a stage um, booked for last year. Um, so we had a good kind of 10 or 12 of them come down and perform some spoken words for the day. Um, and, you know, Ash is... Um, He's an inspiring guide for me. Um, you know, we've been close for a long time, and, and without him, I don't think we'd necessarily have the concept to where it is now. So I'm just, I'm, I'm humbled that he got to write the foreword and that he's included in the print for sure. He is clearly a big fan of your work. I want to read a, a brief excerpt from the introduction. In my mind, his ability to use that camera to capture moments in this great, wonderful city, pieces of people's days, a split second of their story is second to none. He exposes the hidden beauty there to be found. It's how he tells us his tale of the city through the lens of an adopted Londoner. His images combined with the words of emerging poets in this book illustrate his view of the city in his own unique way. The words deepen the narrative, but to be honest, these images are so strong, it will make you start taking your head out of your phone to search for your own moments of hidden beauty and inspiration that are everywhere for you to see, and I encourage you to do it. Chris Holmes's images are a gift, a gift that by turning the pages of this book, you will be able to immerse yourself in. You know, certain cities have a very distinct quality or personality. Some cities, sadly, don't have much character. What is it about London that is so magical, so special? I think, that, I mean, there's so much, right? We, we could probably spend another just three days talking about what makes London magical. But I think for, for my experience of it, as you say, as an adopted Londoner, I think the sheer scale, not only of, you know, its size, um, its, its buildings, but I think its scale of cultural difference, I think really makes it what it is. And I think you can see that kind of pretty much everywhere you, where you go in London. Um, you know, it's been shaped and molded by the people that have lived there, whether they be from UK or, or elsewhere. Um, you know, you can see that kind of footprint, I guess, I guess on them, and that's what makes it so so vibrant, um, so welcoming. Um, even though it doesn't always feel like it, it is. 
Um, but I think it's also a secret, uh, a city that holds many secrets. I think as you walk around, you know, there's just so much going on that you never know um, or will never hear about. Um, and I think it's that kind of that secrecy of a city that, that kind of intrigues you more um, to either visit again or move there um, or just to, to, to roam the streets for sure. Well, let's look at a series of images in the book, Chris, starting right away on page two, there is an image. It just has so much color and texture and depth. Tell us about where this is. So this is uh, in, in Islington in North London. Uh, it's just an old cinema and, you know, we lived in North London for a while before we moved. Um, and I used to walk past it all the time with the, with the lights on at night and it hadn't rained at all. Um, and I actually remember this night pretty well. It, it was torrential, wet through, um, with funny looks from the passers-by. And I think if you look quite closely at the guy under the umbrella, I think you can even see that he's looking at me to question what the hell he thinks I'm doing um, in, in the pouring rain. But yeah, it's just, I just needed to wait for the right time. And that torrential evening seemed, seemed to be the one. Chris, page four, there's an escalator going down. Is, is this the underground? Mm, yeah, this is the... Um, the thoroughfare between King's Cross um, Station and uh, Underground, yeah. Did you have this location picked in advance and, and know that you needed that light to be coming through that big skylight to create that grid on the ground? I mean, it's just the way you're using light here is just beautiful. I'd, I'd taken a, a, a shot previously of, of that same location, so I knew, I knew what it was like, but actually this was, um, I think, return from a meeting somewhere. Um, I just happened to have my camera on me, so this was quite quite fortunate, <laughs> I think. But I, I mean, I knew the spot existed, so you know, I knew the right angle. Um, but I think you know, again, waiting for this was in the middle of the day, so waiting for one solitary person, at, you know, a very busy train station, definitely requires some patience. There's a beautiful sun splashed image on page ten with a poem opposite. The poem is entitled "May I Ask Who Is Steering" by Imogen Hudson Clayton. And the words are, London, my love, sit back and relax. Take your foot off the gas. Enjoy the lost lovers that wander your streets and revel in the victories and not the defeats. Turn a blind eye to the lack of stars that sit in your skyline and remain always thrilling and defiantly sublime. Just an amazing short structure there what, what are those how do those words connect with you i think they, they you know those eight lines for me just epitomize london you know its character its faults um which we you know love unconditionally um even though it's expensive it is busy there is no stars um but it just you know the last line for me is is, is just brilliant um it just it just finishes that excerpt off kind of perfectly and you know to have it at the very front of the book was was quite important um, because I think it sets off the London narrative really nicely as you then go through the rest of the book. You have a series of images from page 12 to page 20 that are just striking images of the underground. What, what is it about the underground that is just so cinematic and so captivating? There's probably a couple of things. I think, you know, it's all, it's all artificial light, right? Um, so you don't have kind of blaring daylight. So there's, there's little crevices of, of shadow. You know, it's quite a vibrant place. Um, it's a historic place. You know, it's, it's a, one of the oldest undergrounds in the world. But it's also iconic. I think, you know, you go to the, the, the metro in Berlin or the subway in New York or Chicago, 
you can identify them immediately. You see a, a shot of the London Underground, you know it's the London Underground. And also, it's just, it's just rich of opportunity with people. It's just, again, always busy. Um, so, you know, there's just, it's just rich of opportunity to find, to find a character or, or find a moment um, in, in the Underground. And they all look different, which is great. So you've got so much choice to find something new because uh, they all, all have their own character to them. Page 34, Chris, there's a beautiful image of just light and architecture and scale all coming together in an incredible image here. Tell us about this. So this is in uh, Liverpool Street um, in the east of London. Um, and actually, I went there with the full intention of getting a completely different shot. I, in fact, wanted to go inside and get the scale again, kind of a solitary person walking underneath the architecture. Um, but, you know, I think it was a kind of a, a winter's morning. Um, you know, the light in, in winter can, can be incredible. Um, so I, I just stepped back um, and, you know, there's, there's various versions of this shot um, for sure. Um, but, you know, the I think the stepping out of where I was looking gives you the, the sense of light and sense of shadow. But it also gives you the opportunity to build some layers through there, right? Because the, the architecture in the distance is just layer upon layer upon layer. But actually there's layer in the foreground which are just, just drives in the eye, I think, down to, down to the centre. And then, you know, the person again, as always, um, hence gives you a sense of scope. Pages 38 and 39, I, I love these images together as a spread. And it, it is not the weather that we typically associate with London, I would say. First of all, it's kind of the sun bursting through, right flaring into the lens, which just has a beautiful component to it. But there's, again, you just mentioned layers. There's layers to, this, to these images. I didn't even see the London Eye until I looked at this photograph several times. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't actually have any of the shots of the London Eye, <laughs> to be honest. This is the only one, and arguably it's not, I, I wasn't there to take a photo of the, the London Eye. Um, it was just one spot I decided to explore one morning. Um, you know, I think winter's mornings, uh, kind of early on, bring some, some of the best light. Um, and, you know, whether it be artificial or, you know, whether it be, be daylight, you know, early mornings, you know, for me are... Um, a time I like to explore um, because of the games the sun plays, I guess, with, with the shadows um, on the street. So, yeah, I think, you know, the London eye being in the background is definitely a happy accident. Um, and it's definitely not the, the, the kind of the main uh, character within that frame. But, uh, you know, it's quite, it's quite nice to have a London icon subtly just sat, sat in the background. In terms of icons, is, is that a struggle for you? Because to make images uh, recognizable, sometimes you need to include icons but do you do you struggle with how to show london's icons is it a challenge for you to show them in a new way yeah i think i think so and i think if you speak to a lot of photographers they'll, they'll probably say exactly the same thing you know you can look through any book or on the internet and see a picture of big ben but what you might not have seen is a different perspective of looking through something towards big ben as an example i think for me personally, um, you know, I want to explore the surrounding areas, not necessarily the, the icons, um, because you can focus on the icons, and you, you know, but there's actually so many street corners around it, which I think are arguably more interesting and give up more character than, than, than the icons that we kind of know and love. Pages 86 and 87 have some weather that feels perhaps a little bit more recognizable or relatable from the images that some of us associate with London. Just some beautiful, moody images. Where were these taken? Uh, so the, so the left-hand side um, is Curtain Road. 
again in the, in the east of London, which very foggy morning. <laughs> so again, the image that I had in my head when I got there um, is not the one that you see. Um, I was hoping that you could see more of the buildings, but actually there is a subtlety kind of in the middle to, to hint that they are, they are there. Um, and that was stood on top of either a bin or a bench, Terry, um, for a good kind of 25 minutes waiting for, um, waiting for the right frame to come in. And also, you know, getting there at quarter to six to find that there's roadworks um, is not, again, something I had in my mind's eye when I wanted to take the photo. But um, yeah, it kind of worked out again through, through patience and then the cars and the actual, the traffic cones had to add some, you know, some, some leading lines in there as well. So it's not such a bad thing. The right-hand side is, is, is the world-famous shot. Um, again, I think on the, on the following week to actually when the, the previous shot was taken, um, I'd uh, been, been to that exact place the, the, the week before, but the fog had lifted. Um, so with the fog, kind of the subsequent weekend, um, you know, I'd already kind of practiced the frame that I wanted. Um, and I just, okay, it was just a case of waiting for um, kind of a person for me anyway to come out. But the fact that there is a seagull, a train, and a person all at the same time um, meant that going back was, was definitely worth, worth it. But even, even the layers you just mentioned, Chris, but then in addition, you have incredible scale and you also have color temperature, which, you know, in the sky, you have sort of this gray, dense fog. And then you have this sort of moody light in the bottom of the frame that is just warm and glowing that feels just, it, it feels like a movie frame. Thank you. I think, um, you know, contrast is, is probably more prominent in my image than I would recognize. But I think what, you know, what the fog does is it adds immediate contrast, right? Um, between, between the floor and the sky, um, probably more than a blue sky would do um, because it's just, it's just blank canvas. And I think, again, with the, with the second image, you know, the, the orange low is life and light versus the, the blankness and faceless fog that's, that's hiding on the shard. Let's work our way to page 92 with a beautiful image, which is a vantage point right down the street. Where, where are you here, Chris? Uh, Liverpool Street, again, <laughs> which is clearly one of my favorite places to, to shoot in London. Um, so yeah, so that's the Heron Tower, um, just in the kind of the left, left of the frame there. Um, and I think, you know, we, we keep talking about layers, but I think there's also kind of, juxtaposition here right you've got so much old surrounded by new um, and then the scale um, kind of leads you the eye just leads into almost nothing you've got all the color up front and just density um, kind of down the way um, so I remember one of my favorite shots that one just because of the, just because of the vibrancy of the colors and the, and the fog I think you're right this to me really is kind of modern London in the sense of there's so much old but there's so much new coexisting right on the same street or in the same in the same composition. Page 98, we get into some images that were captured at night that are just pretty stark and, and moody. Um, this picture here on page 98, tell us about that. So that is in Chinatown and uh, in a back alley called Dante Place, which I think most uh, London photographers will, will, will know and love. Um, I think you know, you know we talked about the kind of the, the uh, daylight um, and then, you know the sun glares and you know the, the, the shadows that it casts. Um, I think artificial light um, kind of brings its own own character to, to a frame and to a situation. And again, just walking around one night, um, and that chap just happened to be to be sat there underneath this, this light with no one else around. And 
again, Chinatown's got so much colour in it. You know, it's got lots of red, lots of yellow, lots of oranges, um, which, which is, you know, is a colour that I'm drawn to. Um, but then also just this kind of singular light, um, kind of focused on this on this guy having a bit of a, a rest and relax um, from the back of the restaurants. Um, it's, a great, it's a great part of town for the character. Sometimes I feel that it's it's actually surprising what one person can do in a frame, because if they if this gentleman wasn't there, perhaps there's no story to this image. But, that, but that's the intrigue, right? Otherwise, it's a, it's a Google Street View. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of nothing more than that. But I think you know, putting a human touch in there it gives you lots of different things. Either the hint of human to back to the stair shot, you've got a shield in the hand. Um, or kind of a full-blown person doing something. It, it gives you intrigue um, and it gives it a kind of hidden narrative. I mean, I don't know what he was doing. He was smoking a cigarette, I think, but you know, I don't know that he works in the restaurant, but all of a sudden I'm asking questions because he, he's in the frame, um, which, you know, um, I've tried to incorporate in, in, in all of the images um, just to add that, that element of intrigue. So as I make my way to page 109, this image is, is striking, but it's a clear departure from many of the other images in the book. It looks like you shot this gentleman in a studio. Uh, no, no, I did not. That is the uh, wonder of Photoshop, Terry. Um, this, this was a guy, and again, you know, I was out um, kind of waiting to take another frame, a different shot than, than, than what we have here. Um, and this was a, a homeless chap um, called Goff who was outside Liverpool Street Station playing his third guitar after his other two had been stolen. Um, and again, it was a foggy morning. So in the background, you had the scale of the towers, um, kind of people milling by while he kind of sat there and played his guitar. But it wasn't quite the shot that I wanted. Um, so we just, we just got talking um, and then asked him if we could take his photo. Um, and I think the, re the reason I've blacked it out is again, I, th I think he's kind of intriguing. What, what I like about this is it's almost like he's emerging from the darkness. Right, um, when actually it's a, if you look back at the raw, raw, raw file, it's just full blown daylight um, and, and everything else. But um, I hopefully I've kind of done, done him justice, his character justice in this image. I mean, so that's an important lesson that with your level of experience now, you can fully appreciate when you set out to capture an image in advance or an idea of what you had did not turn out, but you're given a gift in a new way what does that say just about just staying open to this may not work, but actually this this idea that I didn't even think of might be even a better execution of the original idea? I suppose it's, it's, it's just an evolution, isn't it? And I think it comes down, down to confidence because you could quite easily not get the shot and move on. Um, and you like to say, this is so far and away from what I had in my mind and, and arguably far and away from what else is, is in the book. But I think it's just learn and grow, right? Learn and grow. Um, and again, this, this technique on, on Photoshop um, isn't overly complicated, um, but it, it's something that I tried before, um, but through kind of trial and error, um, managed to get better at um, to the point that, that it's on the, on the, on the page now. Um, and, but that was a couple of years ago, so it's coming back, trying again, coming back, trying again, um, and looking for alternatives, um, especially you know, when you're out on the street for what could be all day, you know, you're walking miles and miles, you might get home and you might not have anything on the reel, literally nothing. Um, but yet you still get up and you go out the next day um, because that's what it's about, right? It's just about practice, 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 um, evolving the eye um, and evolving the confidence more than anything else. But, you know, you, you had to ask permission to take his photograph. How did you get to the point where um, you were having a conversation and you approached him to say, you know, can I take your portrait and can you look directly into my camera? 
I mean, he was already in one of the images that I'd taken, right? So whether him sat down, kind of unwillingly looking into the camera, he was in one part of my image. So I thought, it's just through manners more than anything else to go and start having a conversation with him, um, just to find out a bit about who he was. Um, because his face is, you know, it's a really interesting face. There's lots of character, there's obviously lots of history in his face. And I just wanted to find out a little bit more um, about that um, before asking his permission to do the portrait, um, just to, to, to understand him a little bit more. And then, yeah, um, just, just asked him and he was very willing, very willing indeed. Page 112, we're back to the icons again. Tell us about creating this image from a, a pretty recognizable area in London. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenging one to, to photograph because there's, there's, there's so much contrast, right? I mean, you know, especially at that time of night, those screens are ridiculously bright at the best of times, but then in the rain, you've then got the reflections poking up. And I think, you know, we've talked about icons and, you know, I suppose if you're going to shoot an icon, you're going to do it in, in your way, right? And I think, you know, dark reflections, texture, um, would appear to be, be my way. Um, so again, this is, you know, this is really early in the morning, but even then, to get one person frame in, in, in Piccadilly Circus is, is not easy. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with this, the way this came out, um, with the framing on either side from the, from the lampposts and, and the fountain, um, to the, to kind of the images of, of the people within, within the screen, um, to the solitary figure on there. Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, an interesting place to be at, at kind of half past five in the morning. Page 127, the shard is displayed beautifully. But I'm curious, in the rain here, this is, you know, a, a striking image, but there's, you know, a raindrop that's actually on the lens. And how difficult is that to shoot in the rain? Uh, when you don't take care of your camera like you should, like I do, <laughs> probably quite difficult. Um, yeah, a torrential, torrential morning. But I think, you know, the, the, the raindrop, um, on, on the image, you know, I could I could have photoshopped it out if I wanted to, but I think it gives you the pure sense of, of literally how wet that, that morning was. Um, to the look um, the guy gave me when I walked past him after I'd taken the photo um, of, of how torrential it was. Um, and again, I've, I've seen that spot many times. Um, we actually had our uh, kind of <laughs> wedding reception just down the road from there, um, so I've seen it very well. Um, but uh, yeah, so kind of going back at the right time was, was really important and then just locked out with, with the rain as it was that morning. But if it is torrential rain, I'm picturing you, you know, holding an umbrella in one hand, shooting with your camera to protect the camera or not? No, no not, not that I endorse this in any way. Um, but yeah, no, just um, kind of God bless Nikon, really, for <laughs> the durability of their cameras and lenses. Um, but yeah, so just dried it off as, as soon as I could. Um, but I'm more bothered about getting the shot than I am necessarily the camera because that's what insurance is for. Um, yeah. Page 129 is kind of a rare horizontal composition for you. I, I just love how you're framing this shot through the gargoyle here. Mm. I mean, I, I did take a few kind of vertical versions of this and it, it just didn't quite work. Um, because, you know, using that gargoyle and even the gargoyle's tongue um, to kind of kind of frame, frame the image. And I, again, I've got loads of images of people walking across the street, cyclists, motorbikes, um, but actually the bus um, you know, there's quite, it's quite monochromatic in some senses that you say, you know, you've only got reds kind of flowing through. Um, but actually the, the reason I really like this image is something really subtle and it's just the reflection of the right headlight on, on, on the, uh, on the slightly wet street. Um, I think it just sets, sets, sets the atmosphere. Well, last but not least, Chris, let's not forget about the back cover. The back cover to me is an incredible example of 
shooting at the right time of day. And can you just speak to the level of attitude and personality and grit that you can get through different times of day? It completely changes the perspective. I mean, as you've said, right, the building, the building is the beautiful symmetric building, um, but you know, if it hadn't been for the rain, then the image wouldn't be the image for two reasons. One, the reflection wouldn't be there in the texture in the floor, but also the guy wouldn't have an umbrella, um, which again adds a, a sense of drama um, to, to, to the scene. Um, and again, you know, it could have been front on because it, it looks fantastic, but because the rain and the reflections were there, it almost forced the composition. There's, that was the only way that I could, I could shoot it and make it look like that because of the weather. Um, and I think it almost, almost drives you to, to do things slightly differently when it's, when it's wet on the ground or, you know, the, the sun's at a certain angle. Um, it makes you explore more details of a location, I think. Well, we just were able to experience London through, through your images. And when you look back, you know, now that you're not living in London, did you appreciate it when you were there day to day or can you only look back on it romantically now that you're gone? No, I think, you know, I loved every day that I was there. Um, I think without trying to get too deep, I think it's kind of made me who I am because of who it is. Um, you know, the chaos that we talk about, the grit that we, we know it to be. Um, you know, every day that you'd kind of go home on the tube, you'd never hate London. Um, you'd just accept it and because that is London. And yeah, you know, I miss it. And life isn't normal right now, right? So um, we're not really doing anything um, because we're trying to keep, you know, the, the kids secure. Um, but, you know, when, when life kind of starts again, maybe I will uh, miss it. I definitely miss its takeout opportunities, Terry. Um, and options and choice. Um, you know, there's some great takeouts around here, but you know, there's not the reams and reams <laughs> as, as there is in London. Um, but yeah, no, you know, I miss it, but it'll always be, um, it'll always be, you know, a very special place to me and, and the wife. With everything that's going on in the world right now, I, I'm curious your thoughts about what what role does photography play? I think you know, in the, in the world of so much content. Um, you know, a photograph is supposed to be a moment in time, right? Um, you're supposed to capture a moment in time. And I think there are so many kind of seismic, pivotal moments in time kind of going on through, through 2020s that, you know, the, the photographers that are capturing these photos are, you know, they're, they're part of whatever movement is, is kind of happening um, in any story, in any place in the world right now. And I think, you know, what it helps to do is capture the truth from that moment with the potential misinformation that could be flying around, I think you know you, you are getting a snapshot of that moment in time. So I think photography at the moment has a, has a very important uh, role to play in, in capturing you know, all, all the nuance that's happening around the world um, and freezing it in time for forever to look back on or even to look at now. In your short journey of shooting in the last five or six years, do you have any advice for you know young creatives, photographers that are thinking about getting out there and pursuing this? Uh, yeah, enjoy it. You know, enjoy the practice. I think, you know, when you're happy, you do big things. So I think, you know, it's about trying to find the part of it that, that you love to do and, you know, failing and, and, and starting again and failing and starting again, I think it's, it's probably, it's, it's part of the process and you have to accept, I think, that you're not going to be, um, you know, as great as you want to be straight away. I'm definitely not technically the photographer that, that I, I want to be, so I've still got more to do and I'm still on that journey and I think, you know, if I look back six years, you know, I've come a long way. I've, you know, I'm amazing. I've, I've got a book out, which I never thought would happen. Um, so I think it just shows that if you can just keep, kind of keep going um, and accepting your failures, um, that you never know what might happen a few years down the line.
you know, you have a book with your name on it, man. I mean, that's that has to feel very cool. And there's there's an accomplishment there to have something to hold in your hands that's work that you've created. How how does that feel? Uh, permanent, I guess. <laughs> I think that's that's the thing. It's permanent, um, and everything is temporary in, in this world. The content is temporary. We move on to the next thing. Um, and I think you know. Having it printed on paper um, in, in such a lovely quality book that it is, um, it just it's yeah, it just makes it feel feel permanent. And as, as before with the gallery exhibition, it's legitimising. You know, I've got my name on a book, which is just bizarre, quite frankly. Um, but it's incredible, um, and it's, it's nice to have almost a, a bit of a you know just a, an internal legacy, I think. Right, um, especially for you know my son now. Um, you know, his dad's got a book. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. So. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. Chris, thank you for spending time with us today. It was It was great to catch up with you and hear all your stories about the images that you've created and congratulations on the book. All the best to Harriet and your beautiful little boy. We'll see you soon, okay? Thanks, Terry. Great to talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Chris Holmes, who can be found on Instagram. You can subscribe to Trope Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Trope Reader, find us at trope.com, or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Trope Publishing Co., where you can see the video version of this interview. This episode was executive produced by Sam Landers and Terry Mayday. Camera and audio, Oscar Ayella. Production engineer, Jeremy Garco. Editorial, Mayday Productions. Music by Universal Production Music. Location footage, directed by Terry Mayday. Trope Publishing Company is a platform for creators, storytellers, and imaginative business minds. Creative director Scott Yancey, producer Lindy Sinclair, designer Jack Van Boom, and marketing by Hannah Kopak. You've been listening to Trope Stories.